it should be a very familiar passage by this point because we are in week nine of this 10-week series, and we have referred to this same scripture every week, I do believe. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 in the King James Version. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And in the NLT version, it says, But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Here there is no conflict with the law. Tonight, let's lift, put down our Bibles and lift our hands and ask God to speak to us through his word. Jesus, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for the fruit that we have been learning about, that we have been desiring after God and longing for and cultivating in our lives. And I pray that tonight you would open our minds to your word. Teach us, God, open our hearts to your word. I pray that you would open, that you would open up our understanding and you would help us, God, to hear and understand and apply this word to our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we ask, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we've read this passage uh, the last couple of months that we have been studying the nine secrets of healthy relationships. We have read this passage a number of times. And I like it in the King James Version, but I also like what the New Living Translation says because it does give us some words that are more um, of an understanding of the world in which we live and some of the words that we would say. Um, for example, in the King James Version, it talks about meekness. And in the New Living Translation, it calls that gentleness. And so tonight, part nine of this 10-part series, we are going to be talking about gentleness, which is meekness. In this rough world that we live in, in our highly abrasive 21st century society, gentleness is certainly no longer considered to be a virtue, Meekness is not exactly first on the list of character traits for those wanting to succeed in the business world. Humility often gets trampled in the dust every day by those who are high achievers, who from the cradle learn to shove and push and scream and scramble just to pull ahead and get ahead of the pack. These things we are often we often think these things such as meekness, humility, gentleness, we think of them as, well, that's okay for Sunday, but that doesn't work on Monday at the office, or that doesn't work at home with my family. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, 
And in North America, we are taught to fiercely contend for our rights. In the United States, we love our rights and our freedoms, and we should. But we are taught to be brazen and bold, and that is the best way. Our society subscribes to the notion that if no one else will blow my horn for me, I must blow it loud and long myself and make myself heard. We are convinced that unless we make a big splash in this world, we are going to be forgotten in the crowd, overlooked, forgotten, cast aside. And because of that, from the first time that we begin to take our first feeble, frightened steps as tiny tots, we are often told, stand up on your own two feet, be your own person, never let them see you cry. Independence, aggressiveness, self-assertiveness, and self-assurance are the attributes that they tell us will lead to greatness and success. The fact of the matter is, is that much of what I've just described, in its extreme, of course, is the American ideal, and it is the American way, and it is how we do things in North America, but it is not the biblical way, and it is not the picture that we see of our Jesus. In the face of all of this, and in the culture in which we live in, it is a shock for us to hear the words of Jesus. In Matthew 18 and 4, he says this, Whosoever, therefore, shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Again, in Matthew 23, 11 through 12, Jesus said this, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. This goes against everything that we are taught from a very young age. This goes against our way of thinking, our ideals. This goes against the grain of the culture. But these are Jesus' words that if you are humble, you'll be greatest. And it seems like an oxymoron to us, but he says that the greatest among you will actually be the servant. And whoever exalts himself is going to be brought down low. But he that humbles himself, the Lord will make sure that they are exalted. So very opposite of everything that we know, everything we're taught, the way we live our lives, so very different. But these are the teachings of our Jesus. So where does the truth lie tonight? Who really has the secret of, of success? Should we adopt the view of our culture or the unpleasant proposition of Jesus? I think we all know the answer instinctively. It all depends on whose standard of success you want to adopt as the guiding principle of your life. The King James Version calls this part of the fruit of the Spirit meekness 
as I pointed out when we got started tonight, many of the other translations use different words that we might understand a little bit better in today's English. And the word that is often used in place of meekness is gentleness. The root word in this scripture that we are talking about tonight, the root word of meekness or gentleness, whichever you prefer, is the Greek word praos, E-R-A-O-S, which in the NIV, which I'm sorry, which the NIV translates into three different English words. They're interchangeable, meekness, humility, and gentleness. So the Greek word is praos, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that word because it's very important. But when you're translating that Greek word into the English, there's really no perfect fit, as you'll understand why in a moment. But the options that we have to find the best English word is meekness, humility, and gentleness. Now, as you can understand, those three words, even in the English language, mean very different things. And when we hear the word meekness, we might get one thought or idea, but when we hear the word humility or gentleness, we might think of something totally different. So let's take a look at the word praos. Meekness toward God is that disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good and therefore without disputing or resisting. So this word means that our disposition and our spirit towards God is that we accept whatever he deals us as good and we don't dispute it or resist it. In the Old Testament, the meek are those who relied on God rather than their own strength to defend them against injustice. Thus, meekness toward evil people means knowing God is permitting the injuries they afflict, that he is using them to purify his elect, and that he will deliver his people in his time. I want to take a look at a couple of scriptures here. The first one is Isaiah 41 and 17. It says this, When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. Jump down to verse 20, that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord hath done this and the Holy One of Israel hath created it. We see in this passage of scripture that God will not forsake his people. When we are falling upon hard times, when we are falling upon circumstances that are out of our control, that are difficult, challenging circumstances, God says he will hear us and he will not forsake us. He will open up rivers for us in high places, fountains and valleys, wilderness, 
and dry land, there will be springs of water. He has all these promises for his people. And why? In verse 20, he concludes it, that they may see and know and consider that the hand of the Lord has done this. The reason that this is so important is because part of meekness, this Greek word, praos, is that we accept the dealings in our life and we trust that God is good. And even though we don't understand, we don't like it, we don't have to like it, we don't have to understand it, but we trust God. And without disputing or resisting, we rely on him to defend us, to take care of us, And we know that this situation, if we submit ourselves to him, he's using it to purify us. He's using it for our good. He's using it for his purposes. And he will deliver us in his time, in his way, in his time. Now, that is not an easy pill to swallow. If we look at Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, we also see another picture of this in Scripture. Let's read it together. Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. So this woman in this parable was very assertive, and she was asking this judge to avenge her and to take care of her enemies. And he did it for some time, but she continued to be assertive, and he did. And he said that God will do the same. He will avenge his own elect. When we persist and he bears with us, he will avenge them in his time. So meekness toward evil people means that we know that God is permitting this this affliction that he's using the situation to purify our hearts and that he will deliver us in his time. He is a just judge. He is a just judge, and we can trust him with the circumstances of our life. That is part of the meekness. Gentleness or meekness is the opposite of selfishness, self-interest, and self-assertiveness. It stems from trust in God's goodness and God's control over our situations. The gentle person is not occupied with themselves at all. This is a work 
of the Holy Ghost because you and I both know that this does not come natural. It does not come easily for us to just be meek and trust God as our deliverer, trust God that when we are done wrong, that God has us and he will avenge and he will take care of us and he will come through for us in his time. It's also not in our nature to trust God and know that God is good and he has control over my situations. And when someone is unjust toward me, when someone has inflicted injuries upon me or someone has mistreated me, that God will use that situation to purify my heart and that I can trust him with my situation. God is good no matter the situation. And we have to buy the fruit of the Spirit to trust in that goodness and demonstrate a gentleness and a meekness in our relationships. I tell you that this is a work of the Spirit and not of human will. You cannot will yourself over and over and over again to be meek in the face of injustice to be meek in the face of difficulty and trials and struggles. You cannot will yourself with the human will over and over again to navigate a difficult relationship. We need the power of the Holy Ghost to navigate our human relationships. And the fruit of the Spirit is what works in us. We read in Galatians 5.23, that meekness is part of this. Gentleness is a part of this fruit. And it says that when the Holy Ghost is operating in our lives, he produces this fruit. So you can't just one day say, I'm going to be gentle and meek all the time. It might work once or twice, three times. It might work some, but to cultivate a lifestyle of meekness or gentleness, we need the power of the Holy Ghost. So how do we get that? Well, it's submission to the Spirit. It is submission to God at work in our lives and submission to him saying, it's not in me, it's not natural for me, but I need the work of the Spirit and I'm going to submit to the Holy Ghost that is working in me. Unfortunately, the word meekness, which is what we read in the King James Version, rhymes with the word weakness. And that means that simply because they're two rhyming English words, we kind of make them synonymous. We, we think that they mean the same thing in our minds. Ironically, meekness in its true biblical form this word that we're speaking of tonight is far from weakness, okay? Because to exhibit biblical meekness in our relationships takes an incredible amount of strength. It is not being weak. Being meek is not being weak. We often get that confused 
in our minds, and we kind of use these terms interchangeably, but they do not mean the same thing. Because I don't know about you, but when you are, you've just had it, it takes every ounce of strength and spiritual strength that you have to demonstrate meekness in your situation, in your relationship, on the job, at home, with your spouse, with your kids. It takes every bit of Holy Ghost that we have to be meek and gentle when we're navigating difficult situations of life. So meekness is not weakness. It's actually quite opposite. Meekness requires strength. The Greeks used the word preos to describe a wild animal that had been tamed for service. I love that analogy. That is incredible. Because if we would imagine a lion, and we see this lion out in the wild, we would never think that, want, that lion is, he is weak. He is so weak. He cannot hurt anyone, right? But we see that same lion who has been tamed for service, for a purpose. He's been tamed. And now this same lion can romp around on the floor and play with people and children because he has been tamed. But that doesn't mean that he's weak, because the power and the potential is still there. The strength is still there, but he has been tamed to be gentle and to be meek, to be under control of its authority. So gentleness or meekness is the power of your potential put under God's control. We're all like this wild animal. It's not in our nature to be gentle all the time. But when we put ourselves, that's the submission piece, when we put ourselves under the power and the control of God's spirit, we then can present ourselves as gentle, even in the most difficult of situations. Even in difficult relationships, in turmoil, in, in, in situations where people would sometimes look and say, how do you hold it together? How do you keep your stuff together? It's the power of the Holy Ghost. It's when we put our potential. Yeah, I have the potential to not be so meek and gentle. But when I can submit that unto the Lord and put that power under his control, I can then be what God wants me to be. I can then exhibit the, the fruit of the Spirit. So I want us to understand tonight that being gentle, as the Bible teaches us, does not mean that you are a doormat and you are weak and that you have no power, but it actually is quite opposite because the one who has the power is the one who can hold his tongue. The one who has the strength is the one who does not get easily angered 
in the face of adversity. The one who has the power is the one who can resist the enemy, be angry and sin not, who can demonstrate gentleness and meekness even to people who aren't deserving of that, even to difficult people and difficult situations. We can be gentle when we're operating in the power of the Holy Ghost. So I'm going to give you tonight five qualities of a gentle person, and this this will spell out the word power. So five points, P-O-W-E-R. If we put these things into practice in our lives, it can change the relationships that we are in. And I encourage you, it's already been said tonight, this study has been profound. It's been excellent. So many people have been gleaning from it. I have gleaned from it. All of us have been ministered to. We all need the fruit in operation in our life. The Bible tells us that we should desire after the gifts of the Spirit. And we all love to talk about the gifts, but we cannot neglect the fruit of the Spirit too. We need the fruit operating in our lives. And this study has been incredibly profound in that we call it nine secrets of healthy relationships because it truly is. When we are dealing with relationships, when we are dealing with people, guess what? There's going to be problems. There will be conflict. There will be difficult situations. There will be disagreements. These things will come as long as we are walking around in this flesh because we all have to battle it. There will be conflict in our homes. There will be situations in our marriages, in our workplace. There will be situations in our own church because wherever there are people, there are problems. And that is why it is so important for us to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. And remember, we've said it from week one. It's not fruits of the Spirit. You don't get to pick and choose which one you need, but it's fruit of the Spirit. They come as a package deal. All nine of them make the fruit of the Spirit. So we need all nine of them to be operating in our lives. All right, when we put these things into practice, it will change the relationships that we are in. It will change our relationships for the good when we are operating in the fruit. I believe that gentle people, has anybody ever just met a gentle person? Someone who just has such a gentle spirit? Raise your hand if you know somebody. Like they, they're just gentle. They're meek. And you think of them and they're just, they're always gentle that you know. Now, has anybody, think on the opposite of that, has anybody ever met somebody that it's not in their personality to just be a gentle person? Maybe they're a little rough and abrasive and, go ahead, raise your hand. Oh, yeah. We all know those situations. Maybe even we're looking in the mirror tonight. But gentle people, they're, they're a dime a dozen and especially in this culture, as we've talked about at the beginning of our lesson, it's not how we're taught. We're not taught to be gentle, to be meek, to be that tamed lion 
and to operate under the power of the Holy Ghost. We're taught to operate in our own strength and our own power and to be assertive all the time. And gentle people are powerful, powerful people. They can take a relationship. I've seen this. They can take a relationship that is weak. They can take a relationship that is dying. And they can resurrect it. They can change the atmosphere of a room. They can change the atmosphere of a difficult conversation, a difficult situation, simply because they're gentle. Gentleness is a powerful trait, again, that is so opposite of what we think. We think that gentleness is weakness, but it is not. Gentle people are incredibly powerful people. And when we learn to cultivate this, when we submit to the Holy Ghost and we allow this quality to take root in our lives, we too can be gentle and we can take a sour relationship and we can resurrect it through gentleness. We can take a healthy relationship and we can make it even better through our gentleness. It's a very important quality So the P in power tonight is personality. P is for personality. So as we just demonstrated a few moments ago, we all know people who just kind of naturally exhibit a gentleness in their personality. And we also all know people who naturally don't exhibit a gentleness in their personality. So personality is part of this, but gentle people who have the fruit of the spirit operating in their life have taken their personalities and put them under God's control. It's that tamed lion that we have spoken of. Our personalities are made up of character traits. And these character traits can make or break any relationship. So think for a moment, what are some positive character traits that you like to see in other people? Raise your hand if you like honest people. Okay. What about humble people? Yes. What about somebody with a good sense of humor? What about a compassionate person? We all love those character traits. Those are what we see as positive character traits. What about some negative character traits? Who loves to hang out with somebody who is absolutely rude? What about just spending the day with somebody who has a short fuse and has a really bad temper? Sounds like a great day. What about... What about getting into a uh, close relationship with somebody who is vindictive? Isn't that fun? What about somebody, if you're married, do not say amen, but do you know somebody who is just really stubborn? I said don't say it. (laughs) 
stubbornness. These are negative character traits. We tend to see them as things that we don't like and we don't want to see. But at the end of the day, all of these traits, okay, are part of our personalities. Some people tend to be a little more humble than others. Some people are a little bit funnier and more relaxed and carefree than other people who might be more serious. Some people are naturally kind of rude and they have to kind of work on that. Some people do have a short temper and they do struggle with anger. Some people are just a little bit stubborn. All of these are character aspects of our personalities that make up our person, okay? But we can take our personalities and we can put them under God's control. And we can say, Lord, you know, I am a hilarious person. I'm not saying this for myself. This is an example. I'm a hilarious person, but sometimes maybe I'm a little bit too fun-loving. So God, I need you to help me with that aspect of my personality. And on the other hand, we can say, Lord, sometimes I'm just a little bit too stubborn and I need to give in a little more. I need you to help me with that. So our personalities are not permanent. Our personalities are changing and evolving as we grow, as we have life experiences. And at the end of the day, our personalities do not make us or break us because all of the personality traits can be put under the submission of God's power. We can put them under God's control. And God can use, yes, even the stubbornness, God can use these things when we give them to him and we submit to him. If we're honest tonight, we all have to admit that we all have some character traits we, that we need to maybe work on. We all have things in our lives and in our personalities, maybe some rough edges that the Holy Ghost needs to smooth off a little bit. Every one of us. Here is hope for us. Jesus had three very close friends. If you read in the New Testament, I would say these are probably amongst his very closest friends. And each one of them had major character flaws. And he didn't give up on them. They were his friends. They were in his close inner circle, Peter, James, and John, his best friends. And we can see some examples in Scripture of their faults and how they were at work. Peter was arrogantly boasting in Mark 10, 28, after Jesus had had a conversation with the rich young ruler, Peter says, lo, we have left all and followed thee. Anybody ever seen that about Peter? The rich young ruler is just kind of like, oh, you know, that's a lot to ask of me. I don't know if I can, can do all that and follow you. And Peter just steps up there like, well, guess what, Jesus? He couldn't, but I did. We left everything we had to follow you. So Peter was a little arrogant. James and John were self-promoting in Mark chapter 10, verse 37, right after Jesus spoke about his coming crucifixion in Jerusalem. 
these twos, grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and one on thy left hand in thy glory. They weren't worried about what Jesus was talking about. They just wanted to be right beside him when he got on his throne. Peter was impulsive in Luke 9.33 on the Mount of Transfiguration. Master, it is good for us to be here and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. He wasn't hearing what Jesus had to say. He wasn't hearing what Jesus was trying to do. But he was trying, again, to set up a kingdom, being impulsive. James and John were vindictive in Luke 9.54. When the Samaritan village would not receive Jesus, (laughs) these guys said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? So these guys were Jesus' closest friends, and they clearly had some personality characteristics here that were false. No wonder Jesus said to them, You're stubborn. You don't have any faith. How long do I have to stay with you? Why do I have to put up with you? The same thing that enabled Jesus to stick it out with the disciples is exactly the same thing we can use to help us in our relationships. It is this. Jesus saw the power of their potential. Say that, power of potential. He knew that as they would continue to give him control over their personalities, if they would be honest about their character defects, if they would be realistic with themselves, that eventually they could become powerful for the kingdom of God. And that's exactly what happened. If you look at history, if you continue reading your New Testament, Jesus did not give up on these men, and they became a powerful force in the New Testament church. Why? Because he gave them a chance to submit, to learn, to grow. Ephesians 3 and 20 Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. I'm going to read this same scripture in the message. It's it's not a translation. The message, I call it a paraphrase, but I like how, um, you know, the message version is Eugene Peterson's words. It's just his thoughts and how he paraphrases scripture. But I like how this says this in Ephesians 3.20. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. Gentle people are people who have allowed their personalities to be under God's control. So ask yourself tonight, what do you need God to work on? What do you need him to work on in your heart, in your personality? Here's the catch. God works within us when his spirit fills us. We need the Holy Ghost to produce the fruit of the spirit. The fruit comes with the spirit. And when we have the spirit, 
were able then to begin producing fruit. John 15, 4 talks about the vine and the branches, and it says that you cannot produce fruit when you're severed from the vine. You can't be fruitful without him. So we have to be a part of the vine. We have to be full of his spirit. And if we are, then we can take our personalities and we can put them under his submission, his rule, and his reign. The O is outlook. This is very important. As we allow the Holy Ghost to control our personalities, it has an incredible effect on our outlook, on how we see other people. How we see other people will determine two things. One, our attitude towards them, and two, our actions towards them. Our outlook matters. It matters how you're viewing people. When our outlook comes under God's control, we suddenly will begin to see others in a positive light, and we will work for their benefit instead of just our own. So outlook is important. Philippians 2, 4 to 8, in the New Living Translation, don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they are doing. Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on a cross. That's our Jesus. When our outlook comes under God's control, you all of the sudden start to become a little more understanding. Because gentle people are understanding. Gentle people understand that they have weaknesses too. Gentle people understand that the person who's hurt me, they have limitations as well. We understand that hurt people hurt people. And we understand that when we can submit our outlook under God's control, we might start looking at people a little bit differently. And that's a prayer that I often pray. God, help me see them how you see them. Because I might see someone that has hurt me, someone that has wronged me, someone that is difficult, someone that is rude or stubborn or angry or all these things that we've been talking about, but God sees in their heart what man cannot see, and he truly knows why. Why do they act this way? Why are they hurting people? What are their weaknesses? What are their limitations? People whose outlook has remained outside of God's control are very selfish people for the most part. And the number one way to destroy any relationship is to be selfish. You want to destroy your marriage? Be selfish. You want to ruin that friendship? Think of yourself and put yourself first always. And isn't that what we're taught? Numeral uno. Get to the top. Worry about yourself. Stand on your own two feet. Doesn't matter who you have to pull down in the process. 
But that is not what we're talking about tonight when we speak of biblical gentleness. When people are jealous or selfish, there's all kinds of trouble. There's cruelty. And so as people of God desiring after the fruit of the Spirit, we need not only our personalities under his submission, under submission to God, but we also need our outlook, the way we see people, the way we see situations. We need that to be under the submission of the Holy Ghost. The W is words. Every human being that is old enough to talk instinctively knows the power in words. That's why we talk so much. That's why little ones talk so much because they learn that when I say this, when I do this, when I scream and make noises, I get attention. I am heard. But we also know that words can be devastatingly destructive or they can be enormously encouraging. Words have power. James talks about it. The tongue has power. The tongue is full of wickedness, and it can ruin your whole life. It can turn the entire course of your life just by the power of the tongue. And we know that people can tame all kinds of animals. We talked about the lion tonight. But the scripture tells us that no one can tame the tongue. It's uncontrollable, it's evil, it's full of poison. That's the word of God. None of us can tame the tongue. That's why we have to bring our words under God's control. Did you know that God can control your words? He first has to tame your heart by filling it with his spirit. Because Luke 6.45 says, out of the heart, right? The mouth speaks. Proverbs 15.4, gentle words bring life and health. A deceitful tongue crushes us. Ephesians 4.29, all of these scriptures are, are passages, James 3, 6 through 8, passages about the tongue, about our speech, about how we communicate. There's so much power to bring life and health or to crush and wound. There's power in our words. And if we can, if we can give God the rule and reign over our hearts, then he'll have rule and reign over our tongues. Because everything we say comes from there, out of our heart. Think before we speak. Anybody have to do that? Yes. That goes back to that personality thing. My husband does not say much without putting a lot of thought into what he has to say. And me, I speak now and apologize later. So we all have different personality traits that we have to put under the submission of the Lord and the Holy Ghost. We have to learn to be gentle with our words, to think before we speak. Comes easier for some than others. The E is expectations. When someone disappoints you, 
Are you gentle with them? That's the question of the day. When someone lets you down, are you gentle? When someone does you wrong, are you gentle? When someone doesn't do what you expected them to do or live up to who you expected them to be, are you showing gentleness? Did you know that your response determines the health of that relationship? Even if the relationship we're talking about is your relationship with God. Because God can disappoint us. He can let us down. He can allow things and do things that we don't understand that it's hard for us to submit to. And we talked about this when we studied the bait of Satan, that you can have unforgiveness towards God. You can have bitterness towards the Lord. And it's something that must be dealt with. But how do we respond when somebody lets us down? How do we respond when somebody does not meet the expectation that we had for that relationship? When we mess up, I want you to think about this. You ever messed up before? Raise your hand. Every hand. When we mess up, God was not standing there waiting for you with clenched fist, ready to take you out, but rather he was standing there with open arms, ready to take you in. Just like the prodigal son, God wants us to run to him not from him. And that is exactly what God expects of us with our relationships. When someone messes up, he wants us to have open arms and gentleness and love and understanding. And all of these fruit aspects that we've been talking about these last nine weeks he wants us to cultivate those in our relationships. Ephesians 4 and 2 in the NLT says, Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. Why? Because of your love. And I'm going to take that, just that end of that scripture right there, and I'm going to expound on that just a little bit. The scripture tells us to be humble and gentle, be patient, make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. So that's sometimes easy to do when we really, really love the person. We can, you know, they say love is blind. And we can just not even see all their flaws. We can look right past it because love is blind. But I also believe that when we are humble and gentle and patient with one another, when we make allowance for others' faults, sometimes we do it because we're not doing it as our, for our love for that person, but we're doing it as unto the Lord. It's our love for him. And that person might not be very lovable, but if we love God and we know that God loves that person, 
then that is why we should be humble and gentle and patient and make allowance for their faults because of our love for God. The R is response. Have you ever thought about the word responsible? You could say it this way, response-able. Gentle people are able to control their responses. The way they respond is due to their internal disposition, not the external, not the conditions. You make me so angry. Is that a true statement? It is not. Because you choose your reaction. You choose to be angry. You choose to dwell on it. You choose to become bitter and allow a root of bitterness. Those are choices. They don't make you angry. You always choose your reaction to every circumstance. And you're, thank God, thank God for this, that our emotional life does not have to be built on the shaky foundation of others' weaknesses because people have weaknesses and they are going to let us down. They are going to hurt us. We are going to be wronged in this life. The word tells us that. We're gonna be done wrong. And if we base our emotions on other people's behaviors, that's a shaky foundation to live on because people are always going to be misbehaving. But we can produce strength and a firm foundation when we choose to base our responses on the power of the Holy Ghost that's producing fruit. Proverbs 16:32 He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. We have to have rule over our emotions, rule over our spirit and our emotions. In our relationship with God, our responsibility is crucial. The Bible tells us that God only draws near and only gives himself freely to the gentle, the meek, and the humble. God, who is selfless, who is love, cannot be in harmony with a person who is selfless. Can, I'm sorry, can only be in harmony with a person who is selfless and can give their love and give control of their life over to him. Psalm 34, 18 says this, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. That is an incredible promise. When our hearts are broken, the Lord is near. He's drawn to that. He's drawn to a crushed, broken spirit. James 4 and 6 tells us, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud but giveth grace unto the humble. So this tells us that when we are broken and contrite and we lay ourselves out before God and submit to him, he draws near to us. But when we are proud and selfish, 
when we're not giving grace, God is resisting because he is love. God resists those who are not submitted to him. Instead of going through life being helped by God, we can actually be hindered. We can actually be resisted by God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be on that side. I don't want God to be resisting me. I want to be one that is exhibiting the grace, the humility, the gentleness, even in difficult situations and circumstances of life. But the wonderful news is that God has promised us that he will give us the Holy Ghost. And with that Holy Ghost, he gives us the fruit of the Spirit. He helps us. He gives us, the the Bible says that his Spirit is a comforter. The comforter comes. And it does, it comes to us and it comforts us in life situations. It helps us to navigate difficult situations of life, difficult circumstances. It helps us to walk through hard relationships. I feel the Holy Ghost tonight, and I feel if you are someone that you feel that you are navigating or you have navigated a difficult relationship, God wants you to know tonight that he has not, prom- he has not left you alone. He has promised you his spirit. And when we allow that spirit to cultivate these things in our lives, it's not only a comfort to us, but it also can turn around situations. It can turn things around because the scripture tells us that a gentle answer can turn, can turn away wrath. Have you ever seen that in action? When somebody is furiously angry and a gentle person steps on the scene, the atmosphere can change. The situation can turn around. The conversation goes a different direction. And oftentimes, those are just personality traits where somebody is just a gentle person. But what if we have the gentleness that's given to us by the power of the Holy Ghost? What if we exhibit that gentleness What can God do through each and every one of us if we'll be gentle, if we'll be meek, not weak, but meek and humble? What if we submit that power that we all have under the authority of God and like that tamed lion, we say, well, I could explode. I could just give them the what for. I could tell that person off. I've got the the power to do it. I've got the ability to do it. But when we submit that, the power is still there, but it's the choice that we're saying, I choose to allow the fruit of the Spirit to operate in me. And that takes way more strength than telling somebody off.